Today, we're going to talk about mobile game development. Hey everyone, welcome to the 58th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore and tune in for Game Dev Streams, that's at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have a community open Discord for the Game Dev Field Guide. I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. And that's a really good place if you want to get a hold of me or talk about episodes or just meet other game devs in that beginner to intermediate level. And lastly, today's topic was picked by the patrons. If you'd like to become a patron and vote on episode topics as well as get a few other things like a special Discord role and just in general support the show, I'll leave a link to the Patreon in the show notes. With that out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners, and it's intended to be like a 15 to 30 minute exercise, uh, sort of a thought experiment maybe, where we kind of reinforce the ideas learned in the show. The last Game Dev Challenge was actually a while ago, it was almost a month to the day of recording Uh, But episode 56 Game Dev Challenge was to pitch a video game for a real-life activity that hasn't been popularized yet. Bonus points for the more obscure your activity is. If you remember, episode 56 was kind of about coming up with new game ideas instead of borrowing from other games. And one of the things we talked about was just taking things that are fun in real life that don't have video games associated with them yet. And using that as your basis for coming up with game mechanics and game ideas. And yeah, I think we talked about this is how some of the first (laughs) video games were invented. I mean, Pong, for instance, is just ping pong, but in a digital format. So anyways, the episode 56 Game Dev Challenge winner is Juicebox. Juicebox post says, My idea is more of an arcade wave style game. You're an eight-year-old kid, and since you're the last one downstairs, you're responsible for turning out all the lights. There's one problem. You're afraid of the dark. Your goal is to find and turn off all the lights and get upstairs before the timer runs out. As the level progresses, the floors get bigger with more rooms, making it harder for the eight-year-old to make it before getting too scared. You are scored based on the number of light switches you miss compared to the number you flip. I could see this becoming more of a horror, but you could also sway into the comedy area. I think Juicebox perfectly picked a real-life activity or something that happens real-life to make a game about. I often talk about this golden rule of game dev, which is evoke emotion. And what's one that we are all familiar with? Everybody, even me to this day, not just as a kid, but even as adults, like you know that feeling when you're coming out of the basement Uh, and you turn the light out, and you have to walk up the stairs in the dark, you know that feeling of, like, there's something behind you, or it's chasing you up the stairs. And if you could make a game that perfectly encapsulates this, one, I think this is a really original idea. I don't know of any games that really go for that feeling. But two, I think it could be a really smart game design and really 
driven game design because it's such a raw emotion that every person knows. So yeah, congrats to Juicebox for winning the episode 56 Game Dev Challenge. It was the post with overwhelmingly the most uh, votes, and I think it was well-deserved. For the episode 58 Game Dev Challenge, I want you to come up with a game mechanic targeted for mobile games that separates the action and the inputs. Later today, we're going to talk about uh, mobile game designs that work well on mobile devices, and we're going to learn about actions and inputs and how maybe to separate them. And yeah, I want to see what you guys come up with, because I think it's something you can do in a lot of unique and creative ways. And I'm always surprised, I don't know if surprised is the right word, but I admire the creativity of our community, and someone always comes up with something really cool, so I want to see what you guys have in mind. If you have a good idea, and maybe one will come to you later in this episode when you learn kind of more what I mean, but yeah, if you have a good idea, just go on over to the community Discord, go to the Game Dev Challenge channel, and type out your idea. The community will vote on their favorites, and I will announce the winner on the next episode. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is about mobile game development. And I happen to know a little bit about mobile game development, as this is how I started as a game dev. All of the first games I ever released were all mobile games. And I would say I was slightly successful. I was in college and made plenty of beer money doing something that I liked doing. And this was right around 2015 to 2017 to give you context, as I think the mobile game environment has changed a little even since then. And for today's episode, I think I want to split it up into two parts. The first is where we can talk about the mobile game market and environment as a whole. And the second half, we can talk about actual tips for the game design of mobile games. And there we'll get into what kinds of games work and why. And I actually want to start off with something that is a huge consideration for mobile games, and that's performance. Remember, you'll be limited in space and power when making a mobile game. So there are some things that you just plain cannot do when developing for mobile. You'll want to avoid extremely realistic art aesthetics, as they will not work without some deep artistic and technical knowledge. And I'm not saying you can't go for a realistic aesthetic, uh, but to really pull it off, you have to squeeze out every bit of performance from a phone. And really, it's not its strength, right? If you're going for a realistic art aesthetic, you might as well use Unreal Engine on a PC, for instance. The good news is, is that if you're making a mobile game, you're probably going to use Unity. And Unity has some preset mobile settings and render pipelines set up for mobile games doesn't mean that you can totally ignore performance optimization, but I do think it makes it easier. It's also easy to test your games on a phone from Unity. Unity has things like the Unity Remote app. You could just use a hard connection to your computer, or you could even deploy Android APKs. I would say Unity is probably my go-to engine for mobile development, and yeah, they don't pay me to say that or anything. I just think that if I were to make a mobile game today, I would definitely start with Unity, no question. And it's not just because it's the only engine I know. It's because I think it has the best tooling for mobile game development. So yeah, I thought I'd get that out there straight away. If you're looking to do mobile game development, Unity is probably your go-to engine. 
Let's switch gears a little bit and get into talking about the mobile game environment as a whole to figure out if you even want to make mobile games. And by that I mean, what can you expect to be different in terms of the audience and competition when it comes to mobile game dev? Well, the first thing to consider is that the audience is much larger and broader. I mean, if you just think about it, there's way more people with phones than PCs, and they're spread out between demographics all the way from old people to kids. Everyone plays phone games, your grandma, your kids, even people in different countries that might have poor access to technology. The mobile game market is very big and very broad. But the other thing that it is, is extremely competitive. If you thought it was hard standing out with your PC indie game on Steam, you're going to be blown away with just how oversaturated a game market can get. For comparison, these are rough estimates, but Steam games per day is estimated around 30, and we all know and talk about how hard it is to stand out with Steam. On the Play Store, the amount of games released per day is roughly a thousand. And that is a very rough estimate, but even if it's off by a order of a magnitude, that's still <laughs> a lot of games to compete with. So although you may see it as an advantageous market because everyone has a phone and there's lots of potential users, there's also way more people competing for those users, so I think it's actually easier to get lost in the crowd. Another thing you have to consider is the free-to-play nature of most mobile games. The most popular business model for mobile games is free-to-play, with money coming from ads and time-gating mechanics like power gems. This is one of my biggest problems with the market, because in order to really succeed with this business model, you basically have to intertwine this with your game design. Like with your game design, you're going to start to figure out what mechanics let me play the most ads and keep the players engaged or what mechanics make them impulse buy power gems so that they can keep playing. I've talked about this in the past, I think with the compelling game loops episode, and things like Skinner Box designs are used to keep the player going even when they might not want to. And this ultimately was the reason I stopped doing mobile games. I basically got to a point where I was trying to maximize the profits, and there was nothing wrong with that specifically, but in mobile dev, the best strategy is to do these compulsion loops and tricks and jamming in as many ads as possible. And it not only limits the kinds of games you can make, but also the depth and it just doesn't feel, I don't know, as good. It feels like you're just trying to show people as many ads as possible. It just feels bad. So yeah, that's what ended up ending my mobile game dev career. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Because although the best strategy from a money standpoint is kind of that negative compulsion loop strategy that I talked about, I think the classic just pay straight up for a game with no ads or time gating is possible. Now admittedly it's not as popular and maybe doesn't work from a money standpoint as good as the other compulsion loop strategies. And actually I can't really figure out why it's not as popular. Like people will pay $2 for a bag of chips, no problem but most will not buy a $2 game for their phone. So if you can come up with the answer of why people do that, maybe you can make this work. I just 
can't personally figure it out. I was never able to figure it out. Maybe it has to do with people already having expectations that mobile games should be free. But uh, yeah, if you have any theories on that, that would make a great uh, discussion for the episode discussion channel in the Game Dev Field Guide community Discord. But anyways, the point is, you can still make paid games, or free for that matter, that do not conform to the standard mobile game dev business model. Your game probably will get buried because of the competition, but you can get around that by bringing your own audience to the game. And that's why I think the mobile platform works great as a platform to port an existing game to it. Like, if you already have a pretty good audience built around a PC game, for instance, a mobile port might be something worth considering. If you think about it, you already have somewhat of an audience that will help you stand out a little on the mobile, so you sort of mitigate the main negative, and you get access to the main positive, which is that there's way more people with phones than PCs. Maybe you have fans of your game that watch YouTubers play it, or just know about it because they like the genre, but they don't own a PC. If you bring that game to mobile, you're opening the doors for more people to try out your game. So yeah, I think a mobile port of a PC game uh, for a reduced cost maybe is the best case scenario for anyone looking to do mobile game dev for money, so long as your game works well for mobile. And by that I mean there are certain games that just do not work good on the mobile platform. And you have to consider that the control scheme is very unique, the screen is small, and the processing and graphical performance is limited. And here's where I want to sort of pivot away from the comments on the mobile market uh, as a whole and go more towards tips for actually making and designing a mobile game. And I think you have to know what makes for a good mobile project in the first place to know what kinds of games will be good for adapting or porting to mobile. So we're going to approach this from the standpoint that you wanted to build a mobile game from the ground up. But just recognize that some of this should be taken in the context of porting an already existing PC or console project. Okay, so let's start by identifying what genres work well as mobile games. And maybe that will tell us more about the features of a good mobile game. So one of the first genres that comes to mind that I think works really well is a simple strategy game. Think of things like tower defense and auto battlers. And let's analyze exactly why I think it works. I think simple strategy games like this separate the player's inputs and the action of the game. Like think about the difference between the planning stage or the setup stage where you pick your towers and pass or your team's composition or whatever it is. And then you press the play button and the action starts and you can analyze and strategize while you watch the action play out. One of the flaws of mobile is that the player's inputs often cover the screen because it's a touch screen. So the more you require inputs during the action, the less action they're seeing. And for a lot of players, seeing the action is the satisfying part. What having inputs and action together on mobile lead to is an experience that feels very cluttered and clunky. Like the player becomes very aware that they're playing on a small device with not quite enough room or not as nice as an experience as playing on console. So yeah, separating the two is a great strategy for mitigating this effect. And it actually makes a more clear version of both steps. In this case with the game design, it separates the inputs and the action. And it keeps the player from noticing that there's not quite enough room to do both. 
The next genre that I think works well on mobile is puzzle games. And let's analyze why puzzle games work. One is that people just like puzzles. It's an extremely broad category of fun, and if you think about it, brain teasers and puzzles and riddles have been around for thousands of years. I think it appeals to something deep in our brain as humans. But the point is, it's a very broadly appealing game, and as I said earlier, the mobile audience is also very broad, so it's good that it matches. Odds are that if you have a phone, there's a good chance that you also like puzzles. Secondly, puzzles work well on a limited screen space because a significant part of the play space is in the player's mind. 3D visualization skills in your mind is not something that everyone has, but like every skill, it's something that everyone can learn and practice. And it's sort of hard to explain what that skill is, but basically it's like the skill of being able to see a puzzle or maybe a drawn 2D shape and imagine it in your mind as 3D. And in your mind, you can turn it and spin it and most importantly, problem solve with it. And that's kind of what I mean with the mobile puzzle games. The play space is in the player's mind. When your play space is limited like it is on a phone, making use of additional play space outside the phone works really well. Just keep in mind that the space in the player's mind is not infinite, so match the puzzles accordingly. Don't make puzzle sequences that have many steps or require a large amount of work. And I know what you're thinking, well, why don't we just expand the play space to pen and paper as well and introduce more complex puzzles? And the answer is that for most people, it's too inconvenient. Remember, you're not the only mobile puzzle game. And which are people going to choose? A puzzle game where you need a pen and paper? and the player has to inconveniently carry that on their morning bus commute, or a mobile puzzle game where the puzzles are challenging enough, but they can figure them out all in their head. Meaning, anywhere they have a phone and their mental play space, they can play. In a super competitive environment like mobile games, that little bit easier user experience really matters, and is the reason why people choose a puzzle game where you don't have to keep a pen and pad. Okay, let's move to the next genre I think works really well on mobile, and that's casual action games. These are your temple runs, your jetpack joyride, etc. I think these games work on mobile because they take what's great about a high-octane action game and simplify the action. You still get that real quick game loop of decision, act, decision, act, but the act step isn't very complicated and it's often boiled down to a simple one stroke or swipe motion. It strikes a good balance between a slightly more complex quick time event and a less complex mechanic like a fighting game. It alternates between action and input quickly so that you're able to do kind of both at the same time but separately if that makes sense. There's other casual action mechanics that I also think work well for different reasons. For instance, button mashing. As long as where on the screen you actually physically touch and mash doesn't matter, if, as long as the player can do it anywhere on the screen, your player will naturally find what's comfortable for them and what doesn't block the part of the screen they're looking at. This allows them to separate the inputs and actions kind of by themselves. They're just gonna mash where they're not looking. So I think button mashing is another mechanic that really works on mobile dev. 
And the last style of mobile game I want to talk about is maybe not so much a genre as more of a hardware mechanic, but games that use the accelerometer and gyroscope of your phone is a great control scheme that allows for interesting game design that might only work on mobile. Basically, the accelerometer and gyroscope on a phone can tell which way the phone is tilted and how fast you tilt it. And it's been used in lots of unique ways for games. You could hold your phone landscape mode and use it to steer a spaceship. You could hold it flat like a table and tilt the table to roll a ball in puzzle games. There's lots of unique, creative, and interesting things you could do with it, and it's definitely a control scheme worth thinking about and maybe even solely designing for. If you'll notice, there's a common thread that connects all of these genres and styles of mobile games, and it's that they do a good job of separating the inputs and the action so they don't interfere with each other. And this can be done in many ways. It can be done in game design, like in tower defense, where you have a setup stage and then an action stage. Or you can do it in a user experience way, where you allow the player to button mash anywhere on the screen so that they can do the separating themselves. I think if you take away one core lesson from this episode, it's that when coming up with a mobile game, you'll need to do your best to separate the action and the inputs. And there's lots of ways to go about that, but the goal of it is to have your player not feel like everything is too crowded, and you make them forget that they're playing on a tiny screen. Let's quickly recap the things we learned about mobile game dev today. Remember, you'll be limited by computing power and space when doing mobile dev, so it's best to choose tools that have these constraints already in mind, Unity, I think, is the best choice for mobile dev uh, because it has these constraints uh, designed into some of their tool sets. Remember that the mobile game dev market is super broad and has lots of potential players, but it's also super competitive, so it's easy to get buried. One of the best ways to avoid getting buried is to bring the audience to the game. You could do this by porting or adapting an existing game that you already have had success with on another platform. Whether you are porting or building a mobile game from scratch, it's important to recognize what kinds of games and mechanics work on mobile. We went over a few genres that work, including simple strategy, puzzle games, and casual action games. And all of these had the core idea of separating the inputs and the action. They just do it in different ways. Simple Strategy Games separates the action and input via its game design. In these games, you have a planning and staging step before you press play, where you watch the action play out and analyze your decisions. Puzzle Games put part of the play space in the player's mind, where the inputs are on the screen, but the action is mostly done in the player's mind. Casual action games have a very tight but alternating loop between action and input. And some games even make the input the tilt of the phone itself using the accelerometer and gyroscope. That way the action is always visible on the screen. Remember that the big takeaway and an actionable thing you can do to improve your own mobile game designs is to separate the action and the inputs and you'll make the player forget that they're playing on a phone. So yeah, that's going to do it for me today. I know my schedule, my upload schedule for the episodes has been a little bit weird. Uh, I've been going on vacation and I came back from vacation and had a, just a tsunami of stuff to do. So yeah, I'm trying to desperately catch back up. I think I will by the end of the month. 
but I uh, just wanted to apologize. I'm sure there's someone out there who like looks forward to <laughs> the very consistent release schedule. And I don't know, I ruined their lunch at work or something when they didn't see a new episode. So yeah, I'm sorry about that, uh, but I'm planning on catching up. And the good news is that the tsunami of work I'm doing is actually related to the Game Dev Field Guide and kind of my own brand as a game developer. And I've got some new and interesting pieces of content that are in the works, so that's kind of what's taking up all my time. But yeah, you'll have new stuff to entertain you in the future. I just gotta work it out and smooth it out and get it finished. Speaking of game dev content, um, you can find my tweets on Twitter, at underscore Zaccavelli underscore, and come watch a game dev stream. That's twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. I've been really enjoying the streams lately, and we are building a 2D auto-battler game that I think will be the next game I take to market. It's kind of going to depend on how it feels after I kind of play it and playtest it. But yeah, I'm feeling good about the idea. I really like the idea, so you should come and check that out. Uh, I stream on Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon Eastern. So yeah, with that, I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli. And if you use the knowledge I shared with you today to make a compulsion loop, Skinner Box, ad-heavy mobile game for kids, I will find you.